The Trek Geeks Podcast Network is proud to have Fansets as its presenting sponsor. Fansets is the place for amazing pin collectibles with over 400 officially licensed Star Trek pins and new releases every month. Stay tuned for a special discount code good on your next order at fansets.com just for Trek Geeks listeners. Fansets, our pins have character. This episode is also sponsored by Science Division, the makers of the galaxy's first interactive Tribble that you can control with your very own smartphone. See their limited edition giant silver Tribble available for pre-order today at sciencediv.com. Science Division. Trouble's never been this fun. Hi, this is Gates McFadden, who played Dr. Beverly Crusher from Star Trek The Next Generation, and you're listening to the Trek Geeks Podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. Podfleet Command Space Dock, orbiting high above this big blue marble. It's the biggest little show that this side of the Alpha Quadrant and the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Greetings to you Trekkies all across the known galaxy and galaxies unknown, and welcome to the Trek Geeks Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith, and this is episode number 283. Woohoo! Yay us! Um, we're excited to be here this week. We're excited to talk about uh, a particular film that uh, has celebrating a particular anniversary this particular week and i'd like to bring on my particular co-host who is particularly particular in his own particular way he is the very particular dan davidson and dan um would you particularly like to talk about star trek today nothing in particular okay all right great show <laughs> oh it's great to be here man thanks as always for great introduction it's episode 283 uh of of the trek geeks podcast and 83 days to go till Vegas. So there's a little connection right there. 200 days apart, but 83 and 83. You see what I'm saying, right? Right? Don't, not, uh, not remotely, but okay, that's anyway. okay. You do, and that's what counts. <laughs> exactly. No, it's uh, it's great to be here. I love getting together and talking Star Trek with you and and uh, all the fun that we have. And, and we're going to talk about one uh, specific film, like you mentioned today. I love it. I've always loved it. Um, and that's Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. There's a lot of stuff to talk about. There's a lot of good things and a lot of not-so-good things about this movie, I think, that you might have to say. Um, and we're going to have a great time talking about it. And Reverend Jim might even show show up. I'm just saying. It could happen. What is the over-under on Reverend Jim appearances in this particular episode? Eight. Eight. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm going to keep that in mind. We're going to see uh, if we can keep count of them along the way. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> There's one. one. <laughs> well, you're off the schneid now, you know? <laughs> you know, this is our friend Trey, Wo Trey Womack's favorite Star Trek movie. Did you know that? I did not know that. It is. He loves I Star Trek 3 unabashedly. Huh. Um, in full disclosure, we'll get into this as we talk, you know, about, uh, about the movie. It's not my favorite. I love it. it, it would, you know, would you believe this is actually the first movie I ever rented on VHS? 
Um, I I would believe that actually. It's old enough, yeah. Uh, which is kind of sad because we're old. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, I would believe that. Yep, interesting. I um I, I did see it the the weekend it premiered, and we'll talk more about this. But it was in fact the first movie I ever rented at my local video store. Mm-hmm which was Video Library in Laconia, New Hampshire, back when that was a thing, next to the Laconia Car Wash. Yep. Um, in 1980, I'm going to guess probably 85? Wow. Yeah. Did the movie came out in 84? That's when uh, VHS tapes cost like $99 each. Yes. Because I worked at a video store for like 15 years, made Dunstable Video in Nashua and and uh, Ann Hollis, and uh, had a good time there for many years. But yeah, I remember that they were very expensive. Yep. They were back mm-hmm. before the, so, the sort of major uh, market you know, VHS drops. Like, uh, I remember I bought Star Trek two at, at my local supermarket for like 1899. And that was like exciting. It was like 1988. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Like, that's pretty good. What? It's less than $75. <laughs> must movie must be horrible. I'm buying this <laughs> Star Trek two. I know it's can't even get it today one. for 1899. <laughs> uh, well, you can, if you just want like a, an online version, you can probably get that for like 10 <laughs> that's, bucks. That's true. That's true. in 4k, no less. That's right. But we're talking Star Trek three right now though. So, We are, and uh, let's do that after we do a little business with America. Well, Dan, you know, as always, we want to take this moment to thank our friends at Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. They work hard every single day to make sure the detail of every pin is spot on. And unlike me working with you, um, they don't settle for anything less than perfection. No, they're like the Borg kind of. Yeah, look at that. Anyway, yeah. Um, you're right, though. Absolutely. They, you know, they've been killing it lately with the Delta pins, I got to say. You know, a couple of weeks ago, the beautiful Admiral Cluster pin from Star Trek II came out, and it's so gorgeous. And and then the Delta from the motion picture came out in both magnetic and pin versions, which I know, Bill, you just absolutely love. And then they followed that up just a couple of weeks ago with the magnet and pin versions of the future imperfect Delta, one of my personal favorite TNG episodes. And and today at fansets.com, you can get the Terran Empire Delta in both magnetic and pin version. And I got to say, every Mirror Universe fan has to get these pins. They are beautiful. Oh, they really are. And I mean, you're right. That TMP Delta is my new favorite, unlike your face, which has never hey, been hey. my favorite. Wow. So there. Thank so you. everyone else knows what I'm going to say next. Head on over to fansets.com, put all of those Deltas and a bunch of other pins in your cart. And at checkout, be sure to enter the special discount code TREKGEEKS for 10% off your entire order. That's T-R-E-K-G-E-E-K-S in all capital letters with no spaces. And of course, don't forget, when you spend more than 30 bucks on fansets.com, you will automatically get free shipping in the United States. Fansets. Our pins have character. And we thank our friends at Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. If you haven't checked out the Galaxy's First Interactive Tribble from Science Division, then you are really missing out. This officially licensed Tribble is an amazing high-quality Star Trek collectible, which we know you're going to be proud to add to your collection. We both have one, and we truly love our Tribble. So much work and creativity went into creating this Tribble, right down to the softest fur you can possibly imagine. Plus, I mean, the sounds the Tribble makes are straight out of the original series. You're going to swear this Tribble was delivered straight from Space Station K7, Right to your door. Quadro 
Triticale is all I got to say. Plus, the Science Division Tribble has its own app that you can use to control the Tribble. It's not necessary, but it is a lot of fun to make it scream at people like, you know what I'm going to say, annoying podcast co-hosts. Fret not, however, because everyone but Bill knows that, you guessed it, that's right, I'm saying it, Tribbles are not dangerous, Bill. You'd think I'd know that by now. You would. Should. So head on over to ScienceDIV.com right now to pick up one of the galaxy's first interactive dribbles for your very own. Plus, while you're there, check out the new and improved shop accessory section where you can get all kinds of Science Division swag. There's some t-shirts, there's mugs, or you can even get the legendary Science Division tote bag. Science Division. Oh, trouble's never been this fun. That's two. And we thank our friends at Science Division for sponsoring this week's episode. I've come a long way for the Tribbles of Genesis. <laughs> Three. Three. Hi, Dr. Phil Flox, also known as John Billingsley, speaking. I am the president of the board of the Hollywood Food Coalition. We serve terrific multi-course meals to the unhoused and to those in need seven nights a week. We assist as many as 100 nonprofits with their food needs, buttressing extraordinary social service programs. We work with community partners to address issues of food insecurity here in SoCal. We do lots of other great stuff, but how much time do we have? If you're in L.A., come and volunteer with us at hofoco.org slash volunteer. And any Federation credits you can spare go a long way. Daniel, here we are. Here we are. Um, Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, mm-hmm. the, the directorial debut, feature film debut of Leonard Nimoy. Yes, um, it, it is. I remember when that was announced. I mean, we're all kind of grieving the fact that Spock had been killed at the end of Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan. Oof. And then we hear, well, he's not going to be in the movie. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, but he is going to direct the movie. Uh, do you remember hearing that like dude, in advance of the, the, the movie? What did that make I, you think? I remember him being announced as the director. I don't recall them saying he wasn't going to be in the movie. Um, no, not surprising because, you know, John Harrison wasn't supposed to be con, but, you know, so Star Trek has a <laughs> habit of doing this. Um, but uh, um, no, I do remember him and it's like, oh my God. So, so he is going to be, he is going to be in it kind of when you think about it. And I think everybody knew that just the fact that it was going to be called the search for Spock, that it was, it was going to be bringing him back in somehow. Um, so even though, like you said, even though I don't remember this, I said that he wasn't going to be in it. I think everybody kind of had an idea that he probably was, even though they wouldn't confirm it right away. Well, that's the plot detail I had spoiled for me by none other than Gene Roddenberry. <laughs> um, when I saw him, yeah, he was doing a, a lecture for the Putnam Fund series in Laconia, New Hampshire, mm-hmm. at Laconia High School. And, you know, he was talking about Star Trek and he showed the infamous blooper reel he'd always show. And eventually the topic of, of Star Trek Three came up because, you know, people talked about Spock dying mm-hmm. at the end of Star Trek Two, And he said, I'll, I'll let you in on a little secret. And of course, I'm paraphrasing now because I was, what, a seventh grader at the time or I forget, but I, I was a young kid. Yep. He's like, uh, Spock will be back in the next movie. You'll see him in Star Trek Three. You were probably like, I was like, what? <laughs> and of course, the whole room kind of erupted into applause and cheers and stuff like that. Because, I mean, people love Spock and rightfully so. But 
I think it was Gene's way of of essentially flipping off the powers that be at Paramount and Harv Bennett to yeah. say, <laughs> screw you. I wish hippies. I could do it. I wish I could do a Gene Roddenberry impersonation because that would have been, and then you will see Spock in uh, in Star Trek Three type, type of thing. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't far off from that. I'll tell you. Um, so going into it, I knew, I knew that Spock was going to be back. Yep. So when I saw the movie opening night at the Lakes Region Cinema in Guilford, oh, New Hampshire, um, s- tangent. I mean, people talk about this sort of special pricing for big blockbusters that occurs now with some movies. Um, that occurred. 38 years ago it occurred 40 years ago when i went to go see empire strikes back i had to pay a premium to go see empire i had to pay a premium to see jedi i had to pay a premium on opening night to see star trek 3 the search for spock worth it worth it so it was a small theater it was we used to refer to as the twin cinemas back home because there Mm -hmm. were only two theaters there was the larger one and then the smaller one and this was in the large one and as people were exiting the doors to the theater I could see were open and I saw the cast, you know, credits crawling up the screen mm-hmm. and it listed the various Spocks. And then I saw Leonard Nimoy's name on the screen and I just shut my mouth <laughs> <laughs> because there were people around me in line. Didn't realize. And I didn't want to spoil it. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't want to go, oh my God, there's Leonard Nimoy. There's Leonard Nimoy. He's in the movie. He's in the movie. <laughs> I, I didn't want to do that. Well, you're a good man for that. So, uh, do you, now I know this is a typically a tricky question for you because one, you're not that bright I'm, and I don't have a good memory. I don't you have a you have Swiss cheese memory at best. Um, do you recall when you saw Star Trek three? Um, I don't recall when I saw it. I'm sure I saw it either opening night or very soon after. Cause that was at a time where I still had not sworn off going to opening nights ever again. Cause we did that for like Phantom of the Menace and that was just like ridiculous. And I said, I would never go to another one after I'm that. I'm sorry, for what? Yeah, exactly. Phantom of the Menace? Phantom of the, Phantom, <laughs> <laughs> the Phantom Menace. Sorry. <laughs> you idiot. Yeah. Sorry. See, I'm all excited. <laughs> so, um, but I do remember seeing it and we're going to talk about this more, but I distinctly remember realizing who Krug was at one particular scene in the movie, <laughs> which we'll get to later on. And that is the one thing I remember um, most about that movie. And I enjoyed it. I, I love the movie. Um, one of the things I love the most, man, and this is small, it's a tiny thing, but the opening scene when Kirk is doing his his personal log and we see the Enterprise flying by and it's still got all that battle damage and scarring from Star Trek II. I love, back then we didn't really think about continuity to that extent, but that was great that you still saw those phaser lines down the side of the secondary hull. I loved that. I thought it was great. And then it just, it went from there. I just thought it was, I thought it was, I think it's a great film. One of the things I I really appreciate about it was the way that, that, Leonard chose to open it, you know, the way they flash back to the end mm-hmm. of Star Trek two and, and that I, um, I, I appreciated how the image in our memory got larger and yes. larger and larger until it encompassed mm-hmm. the entire screen. Mm-hmm. But you're right that, that captain's log at the beginning, and this is a line I, I still use every now and then, you know, where enterprise feels like a house with all the children gone. Mm-hmm. Um, that one, I, even at that age said a lot to me, it's like, wow, um, that's a completely different feeling than we've always had with the enterprise because she's been crippled. She's barely limping home. And, um, one of our beloved characters is, is gone. So it's got to feel like one giant wake inside. 
And and Shatner portrays that really well in that opening scene, not only with his voiceover, but just the way he carries himself. Um, you see that, you know, that weight on his shoulders and the sorrow that he's got and, and his and his mourning. And then of course we have the whole McCoy thing thrown into it. And and how about you? I can remember when he goes into those quarters and it's dark and you hear Leonard's voice, you like say, Who what? <laughs> It's yeah. just like, what's going on here? And that puts a whole nother, uh, a whole nother thing in motion. So, you know, they're able to, they're able to, with only a couple of people, really show what the entire crew is feeling over, over this loss. And I think it really sets the tone for the rest of the movie in a great way. And then get your expectations when Sarek shows up and says, oh, here's what we're going to do. And, and all these other things that come into play later on down the movie. I have to say that if we're going to play a little game of say something nice with me with this film, because I'm on record as not being the biggest fan of Star Trek 3, mm. um, I'm going to say it is some of the best acting that William Shatner ever turns in. Yeah. His performance in this movie is is unreal. You know, from from grieving the loss of his friend to stealing the Enterprise and essentially throwing away his career to investigate what the Admiral calls, you know, Vulcan mysticism to when David is finally killed on the Genesis planet. Yeah. Shatner has never been that raw in Star Trek. He's never been that vulnerable. And I think for me, that that's probably um, some of the best work he's ever done in the franchise. Missing the chair is something that I will oh, never forget. It's and beautiful. The look, the look of, I don't know if pity is the right word, of sorrow that Scotty has when he's just staring down at him. Uh, in that scene, not at that exact moment, but, but yeah, you're absolutely right. His, his acting is really great in this. His hair looks good in this too. I gotta say. <laughs> I really Which hair? That. Yeah, exactly. The, yeah. the, the outfits that they all wear. I love the wardrobe in, in this movie. It all just, it all just works. And, and unlike you, and I mean, you like, you, you don't, you don't hate the movie. I, I love the movie. I don't hate I, just, the movie. I, I really just enjoy this one a lot. I love the music. The music is fantastic. I already talked about one thing that I will always remember with this movie. Another thing that I always remember, and you just played on it a little bit, is the stealing the Enterprise scene. That is one of the most beautiful scenes in Star Trek motion picture history to me. When it, when you have that giant pullback of the space station with it, with the Enterprise backing out with that music playing and you see the running lights of the runway uh, for starships, <laughs> it's just, it's just so great. I, that's, that, that is a breathtaking moment. Starships don't use runways? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> and, now, Mr. Scott. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> Sir? I just, I think that is, that is, that is beautiful. And, you know, people say, oh, the, the scene with the Starbase and the Enterprise and the Excelsior right behind it is just so great. I think that scene of the space station bay doors open with the Enterprise coming through it takes a cake because you see, you see the, the entire Enterprise, which is tiny compared to this gigantic entire screen encompassing space station. I love the approach shot for that reason. Yeah. Because you yep. get to see the perspective of how tiny the Enterprise is in mm -hmm. comparison to this behemoth that we've never seen right. before. Um, <laughs> which you can get at Eagle Moss, by the way. Which you can get at Eagle It's It's gorgeous, too. Um, I, I do love that. Although I will say the work that ILM does on the search for Spock is some of the best they've ever done in Star Trek. Yep. Everything from the way the Enterprise looks to space dock to um, the Genesis planet itself. Uh, and probably the worst or the most heartbreaking moment of the film, uh, the destruction of uh, 
the Enterprise, but more about that yes. in a minute. Yeah. <clears throat> so you touched on this a little earlier. We're up to three now, but um, you you can't really talk about this movie without talking about Christopher Lloyd as the main antagonist. Yes. As Krug. Com- only commander. Only commander. Yes. Yep. Um, I think that in examining why this movie just doesn't work for me as much or why I don't like it as much as some of the others is because Christopher Lloyd kind of takes me right out of it. It's not his fault, yep. but there is enough in his delivery that just, I am not menaced by it all. Okay. So let me ask you this. Did yeah. you watch Taxi before Star Trek three? Were you ever a Absolutely. fan of the show? Yeah. I, okay. I, I grew up watching Taxi. That might be part of the reason, buddy. And here's why I say that. I love Christopher Lloyd in this role. I think he yeah. looks fantastic. I think once I realized it was him, he sounds fantastic. I did not watch Taxi growing up. I never liked the show, so I barely ever saw it. So I didn't have that instant, this is Reverend Jim or or whatever thought in my head, which I could totally understand if that took away from the menaceness of Krug. If you are picturing a, a drunk guy in a taxi uh company sitting uh, sitting at the table all the time that yeah. could be part of the reason now i will say that the best scenes he turns in are the ones on the planet yeah. with kirk face to face yes um, because that's entirely believable it is 100 percent um you know you see the part you see the scene where he's he takes the the microbe that's like a big giant slug and kind of crushes it and that's that eh, eh, yeah eh. of course the the one line and i'll talk about it now He's on the planet. We're what an hour into the movie when he finally yeah. is on the planet with with the prisoners, uh, Savick and David and and young and young Spock, and so it's an hour. So we've seen a bunch of lines with him in Klingon and in English, but it isn't until ah, I come a long way from the power of Genesis, and what do I find? A weakling human, a Vulcan boy, and a woman. And I'm like, oh my god, that's Jim from Taxi. Yeah, that's when I realized it. <laughs> It took that, that long. <laughs> and that's it. I mean, whenever I talk about Krug, that's the one thing I always quote. <laughs> it's a great that's, line. That's four, by the way. That's four. Yes, we have uh, four to go. <laughs> yeah. And anyone no, wondering why we're counting, we'll have to, you know, just remember that we've kind of gone for the over under on the number of Reverend Jim impersonations. Yes. Or Reverend Krug, depending Reverend on Reverend Krug. <laughs> yeah. Um, Commander Jim. <laughs> I appreciate how they tried to set Krug up as a Klingon to be feared in fairness to the character. Um, this really is the first Klingon to take Uber seriously since, since core. Oh, I absolutely agree. 100%. And we haven't really had the Klingons in the movies that much. I mean, mm-hmm. the beginning of the motion picture, right. You know, it didn't last long. <laughs> it lasted maybe about what, three minutes. <laughs> um, so it's really the first time we get an exposure to the Klingons in film. Mm-hmm. Who, by the way, look different than they did in the motion picture. By the oh, way, just throwing that, that out. Wow, there. how? Why do they keep changing the Klingons, Bill? I don't know, Dan. <laughs> um, but I, I do appreciate that they tried to set up a an antagonist for Kirk that was very much his equal. Here's why it works, and here's why it doesn't work in my mind. Okay, it works because he's great at portraying a, an evil dude. Um, he has command of his crew um he is willing to sacrifice the woman he loves simply because she saw the genesis tape at the beginning of the movie poor valkris we'll get to valkris in a minute get a little continuity error that's always bothered me oh that's always annoyed me (laughs) it's annoyed me a lot um so but i think that 
you know, some say, you know, did they, did he overdo it and how he acted scenes and stuff like that? I've heard that. You got to think he is a commander. So he doesn't have maybe the clout that other Klingons would clout with a K I will add. Um, and he is the commander of a Klingon bird of prey, which we have not seen before, which only has a crew of 12, something like that. It's not very, it's not a big ship, but yet it has the power to do what it did to the enterprise only because that was a skeleton crew also. But so there's the effect of, he does a great job of being the antagonist, but he has a lot of things against him to be the antagonist. Um, and that's always been thing, one thing that I have pointed to was the fact that he's got a tiny ship when you think of it. Um, and not a lot of crew to really help him, uh, back then when he beamed over the crew to take over the enterprise, what did they send Four. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> so S- send everyone we can spare. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So yeah. Um, anyway. <laughs> it's really interesting because, and, and let's talk about this now because you brought it up and my mind's on it, but um, there are a couple of, of costume <laughs> issues um, that are notable and they both involve collars. Yes. There's the one that Valkyris, the beginning of the movie, and then Chekhov loses his yes. partway through the movie so he doesn't look like he stepped out of a you know a renaissance a french renaissance painting <laughs> i used to refer to him as like you know the little dutch boy or yeah. little lord fauntleroy yes. in that costume yeah. um but i i think there are a couple of just weird continuity errors with costumes there right the the, the valkyrie one is the one that i always caught first i'm like wait whoa whoa wait a second we're not seeing i'm gonna say this in a joke of course we're not seeing that klingon cleavage and i say cleavage with a k also because it's klingon they had to and i think they had to cover it up because of the close camera shots i think that was back then the different rating systems that the films had i think they had to purposely do that otherwise they could have maybe gotten into a little trouble because they didn't have PG-13 back then. Um, oh, that's right. I forgot so, about that. So that could have been one of the reasons. And and I got to say, it's really a shame. I liked that character of Valkyris. I thought it would have been great to see her more. Um, but unfortunately, of course, we, we know what happens to her. And did the guy who played the captain of that uh, scuttlebutt ship kind of look like the skipper from Gilligan's Island? <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. See, I always thought he kind of looked like actor Howard DeSilva, who was in the film version of 1776 as Ben Franklin. Oh, geez. Um, 1776 is a favorite of mine. Um, But yeah, just hearing his voice and looking at his face, um, it was just, it it struck me as kind of odd. Odd and good. um, but yeah, he, he and and the other guy. The, the funny thing about the guy that's kind of like sitting next to the captain. If you watch when things are going on, he kind of knows they're talking and Klingon back and forth to each other. And all he does, he's sitting perfectly still. But you see his eyes darting like left and right yeah. all the time. Yeah, like, something not good here. Something's going to happen. Let's get <laughs> out of here. I thought that was pretty funny. Well, and then nothing, they died. Nothing good happens with the Klingons. <laughs> nothing good. Yeah, it's nothing. it's really weird. You know, you you brought up something I never really thought of before. It's that that bird of prey has such a, a small complement of of Klingons aboard it. But yet in the shot where it's nose to nose with the Enterprise, it looks like it's almost the same size. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which looks a little off to me. It does. It does look a lot. The, the other thing is, is back in the day, I think they've cleaned it up, but I always found it interesting whenever you saw those shots of the Ener- of the Enterprise and the Klingon Bird of Prey, you saw the little outline of the frames where the model ship was superimposed in yeah. the back shot. And especially the part where I think um, they were kind of like falling away from each other at one point. You really see that a lot in the old versions. They've cleaned it up a lot, but still, credit to ILM because they did a phenomenal job uh, in the special effects. It's th- that's something we didn't really see a whole lot. And and when when the Klingon Bird of Prey was first shown in this first time we ever saw it, of, then it was all over the place in TNG. I loved it. I thought it looked awesome. 
I really, I really liked it. Oh, same here. It, I, I was, I mean, I love the D7, don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but this sort of new ship in the Klingon fleet um, really looked kind of badass. And I'm not, a, I'm not ashamed to say that. It, it's I, interesting that it's called Bird of Prey, um, like the Romulan, the Romulan Bird of Prey, but this one looked like a bird, at least. So, and I think, I don't know if it did it in this movie, but didn't the wings like retract? In some versions, I don't recall if that's accurate. I don't think or not. they retracted, but I think that their their They're position like changed. Out. Yeah, okay. Almost yep. like they they would flat. you know either so flat through space like this. Well, they'd either be flat at, at sort of you know zero level, or they you know they they tilt down like we normally see them. So, and that's one um, good shot that we see in one scene is like a close up of the ship when it's at warp, and it's like from the from the side hull looking out over the wing, and it, it really kind of looks pretty cool. I think they reused that shot on Next Gen about 40 million times. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we get a we get a change in Savix in this film mm-hmm. um, to the person I refer to as my Savic, yes. which is Robin Curtis. 100%. Who I think is absolutely amazing in the role. Yep. She's amazing in the role. She's an amazing human being. We've seen her at conventions and she's just absolutely wonderful and has always loved what she has loved the reception that she's gotten as Savick. Um, and it, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I really am sad that she didn't have more uh, of a part in Star Trek four. Um, but that's for a discussion for another time, but she does a great job in in this one. And she has a lot that she needs to chew on with what she has to deal with when she's on the planet. The one of the things that the novelization doesn't really bring out uh, for two and three or I should say the movie doesn't bring out from the novelization is that Savick's supposed to be half Romulan. Yes. Um, and I think that that would have been a really interesting thing to, to have Robin play off of. Mm-hmm. I, I think it would have been good for her to experience a little emotion after the death of her mentor. Um, but I mean, we do get some great scenes on the planet with David um, where, you know, we kind of learn what David did to make the Genesis planet happen. Right. Um, I, I think that those scenes are particularly good in this movie. Um, even if some of the other scenes are a little awkward. Yes. I, I got to say that for, for a species and, and you're right, they didn't really portray her as being half Romulan. So if we're going to talk to her about being Vulcan, it's great that a, a species that prides itself on logic and not showing emotion does a really good job of making other people feel guilty for their mistakes. Right? <laughs> How much damage have you done? And what is yet to come, mister? <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's no wonder it took us 100 years to get into space. I mean, the Vulcans were there the whole time nagging us. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yep. Jeez, my God. She must be related to Admiral... What's his face from Enterprise? Forrest? Yeah, no, the Vulcan. Oh, I... See, I both of us had it. He was yeah. an ambassador. It was Saval. Ambassador, yes, yeah. He wasn't an admiral. Right. Sorry. I'm thinking, I, I was thinking Admiral Forrest, but yeah, you're right. So this movie introduces, I don't want to say introduces, but it certainly reinforces the concept of the needs of the one mm-hmm. outweigh the needs of the many. So our, our tried and true enterprise crew decide it's, it's worth it to throw away their entire career to rescue their friend. And I think that that is the central theme of this movie it makes it timeless. I think it makes it beautiful. And I think that it really elevates everybody's performance, quite honestly. And not one of the crew hesitates. No, not one. Captain, we're wasting precious time. What are your orders, Captain? I mean, it's just it just shows not only the the dedication that they have to Kirk, but the dedication that they have to this friend, and they're not gonna leave him behind. They're gonna go get him, they're gonna bring him back. 
It's 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 this is the perfect tr- family is Trek. Trek is family movie. In my you opinion, know, it really is. I mean, it's it, plus it, it's the perfect complement to what happened in Star Trek Two. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the first time we've had a sequel that follows the events of the movie before it in the Star Trek world because two didn't follow one really kind of at all. Right, it's its own standalone thing. But this kind of starts off a, a little mini trilogy, and this middle act, as far as middle acts go. It's actually pretty good. Um, I'm a big fan of middle acts. Like Empire Strikes Back is my favorite Star Wars movie. Um, But Search for Spock sets a lot of stuff in motion for four that I think is really important. So our our crew has to, uh, and I hate saying this because it kills me. They have to destroy the Enterprise to survive. This, uh, This was something they put in the trailer. I don't remember that in the trailer. Oh, I must John, have not seen the trailer. John Krikorian and I talk about it constantly. It was in the trailer. You see the Enterprise just explode. Oh, God. I'm glad I don't think I saw the trailer then. And I, at that point, I was heartbroken because as we've talked about many, many times, that Enterprise was my boyhood ship of dreams. And I actually was more affected by the destruction of the Enterprise than I was by Spock dying in yes, the previous film. I, I can totally appreciate that. And one of the things I found... More painful about the destruction of the Enterprise. Sure, we saw, you know, first of all, it was it was self-done. I mean, Kirk did it himself. And I love yeah. how they brought the same codes in from Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. I thought that was fantastic. Good continuity there. But after the ship explodes, when they show the close-up of the hull, and you can see the metal literally dissolving as it's... That that was that was amazing. I thought that was just one of the best special effects of the whole movie. Um, and then, of course, the whole you know explosion of the you know it's one thing they see the explosion of su- certain parts of the ship, but when that saucer section goes, that's the one that hurts. That hurts the most, more than the burning in the atmosphere. I think. Yeah, no, I have to agree with you because it just looks like it just shatters and explodes mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah, yeah, and then there's the dialogue, the planet where Kirk is like, "What have I done?" It's like, it's funny because he didn't have that feeling with, you know, regard to throwing away his admiral's bars. Didn't have that feeling with regard to stealing the Enterprise. Didn't have that regard to knowing that everybody around him has just lost their career in Starfleet. Um, The ship. It took the destruction of the ship. Right. the, The thing that he felt the most connection to in the series. And all of a sudden he realizes I've had to sacrifice this thing I've loved for my front. And they didn't even know if he was there yet. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it could have all been 100% for nothing. Um, you know, of course, you know, they're going to try to save the people on the planet and everything, and that's all well and good. But, yeah, this could, you know, they could have gotten there, and not only was David gone. Well, actually, I'm sorry. They did know that he was alive because they said a young Vulcan with whom you were acquainted. So, Oh, that's right. That's true. So they did know. But when they got to, they got to the campsite, they could have all been dead at that point. They didn't know. I'm a pessimist. The computer is the only thing talking. <laughs> talking? Let me hear. Five. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you got to follow it up with his, his best line. No! Of <laughs> Get, Get out of there! there! <laughs> we'll call that six and seven. <laughs> this is fun. I think you're going to hit the over under, no problem. Um, oh. it's <laughs> um, I, I want to go back for a minute and talk about the Excelsior. Mm, that bucket of bolts. <laughs> she's the it's, she's the future. Yeah, yeah. They say she can make the Kessel run in under twelve parsecs. <laughs> huh? Huh? 
Uh, no. So I, do you remember all the conjecture that occurred after this movie that Kirk and company yes. were going to get command of yep. the Excelsior? Yep. Um, I got to tell you, I was pissed about that. I was like, he can't command the Excelsior. He commands the Enterprise. Not only that, the Enterprise is, I'm not even a fan of these cars. The Enterprise is a Lamborghini. It's a Ferrari. It's a Porsche. The Excelsior is a freaking minivan. <laughs> It's, it's it's a big bulky tank. I, it's a Ford Aerostar. It, it's, there's it's, that. There's one for you, Robert Reyes. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, um, and uh, you know, it, you know, it's great that we see it later on in, in Star Trek Six and everything. But when we first see this one, it's just kind of like a big giant metal <laughs> thing. It looks like a blob. I don't care for it. So here's the thing, and I know there are people who love love their ships. They love various classes of ships. There are people who love this Excelsior design. Mm-hmm. I am not one of them. I've never liked it. I don't think it – let me step back. The thing I love about the TMP refit of the Enterprise is it looks gorgeous from any angle you photograph it from. Yes. Any way you light it, that ship looks like the hero of the day. That's not true of the Excelsior. Um, it, it's got – it, it's unsightly in, in many angles and um, it just, it, it looks, it looks way too giant. It looks way too giant. And, and you think, you think speed, you think something, you know, nice and sleek and sexy, like discovery, discovery can go pretty fast and, yeah. and the enterprise can go fast. This is supposed to have transwarp drive, which is supposed to be the fastest of the fast. And you're doing it in a Sherman tank. <laughs> you're That's doing it in a cruise ship. Yeah. yeah ex- cruise ship. Perfect analogy, man. That is absolutely perfect. Yeah, it's it's the love boat. <laughs> um, and the captain's kind of a... Anyway. <laughs> hey! <laughs> In my head canon, the styles that's captain of the Excelsior is the same styles. Yeah. Even though it's not. Yeah. Uh, but in my head canon, he will be. Because I think that would have been more interesting. If I if I'm ever a captain of a starship, I want two things. I want one of those sticks that he carries around so I can like hit people on the head when I'm walking by. And I want a nail file. <laughs> so, so I can be, ah, oh, this is a captain. What do you have? A red alert in space, Doc. <laughs> he was finally manicured, wasn't he? <laughs> he was. He had a nice mustache. I, and I don't know if that stick was supposed to be a riding crop. Or I think it was. A futuristic th- version of I one. I think it's a riding crop. Yep, absolutely. Somebody yep. who knows more about horses will have to school us. Um, exactly. Maybe uh, William Shatner gave it to him. He likes horses. Yeah, probably not. Okay. Probably not. We should ask just, him that when we get him on the show. Just, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know, he doesn't do podcasts. Remember? I understand that. Except for all the podcasts he's done. <laughs> um, did I say that out loud? No, nah, I didn't hear anything. <laughs> so, do you have a favorite moment in the entire film? Um, I, I think I have I have two, and, and unfortunately, they're not characters, and I talked about both of them, is the Enterprise coming out of Space Dock is just is it is a it is a heartbeat faster emotion you know like frenzy when that happens um and as sad as it is the destruction of the enterprise as as gut-wrenching as it is it's a favorite moment because it is it is done so well and looks so good um i think it's i think it's great i absolutely love it and and here's one thing that i this may this may shock some people and some people may not like this part of my least I'm going to talk about my least favorite for a second, and it, unless you want to save that for another, no, another go ahead. segment. Go ahead. My least favorite are watching Spock age quickly 
just it just doesn't f- seem right to me especially when you actually start seeing like his face like it's like an american werewolf in london scene with the with the bubbles under the under the makeup and everything and i don't i don't care for the vulcan scenes until he's awake okay I, I even though even the Sarek scene on Vulcan, I'm just kind of eh, eh, you know. And you got Talar and everybody there. That, that it just kind of seems anticlimactic for me when they get to Vulcan. I think that I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna go back and talk about the back scene I like the most, and then yep. I'll talk about my overall issue with the movie. Um, I think the scene I like the most is is actually the fight between Kirk and Krug, because we get what we didn't get in Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. Mm-hmm. Kirk and Khan were never in the same room. Right. You know, there was never that conflict, that that sort of fight that had to occur. Uh, shut up. Just, there was never that face-to-face meeting. Right. Um, that that I think Khan would have wanted as part of his revenge. Absolutely. Um, plus, I mean, Kirk, I mean, it's the Starship combat is great. Don't get me wrong. But in this movie, you kind of, Kirk has to, has to fight for his life and right. Spock's life. Yep. And I think that that particular aspect of this film is done exceedingly well to the point where when Kirk finally wins and does the, you know, I have had enough of you. I think that that is just the perfect way to punctuate the fact that he saved both him and Spock. True. And the villain dies by falling like a lot of Disney movies do. Kind yeah. Although at the time that didn't look as good. <laughs> it didn't look too good. <laughs> <laughs> One um, of the things I did like about that scene, and you're right, that's a great scene. The fight is good. We, and Shatner, you know, even in the days of TOS, the, the 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 Shatner fight scenes, whether they were him or his stuntman, were always pretty fun to watch. But here you got you got parts of the planet, like all of a sudden a rock just shoots up out of the ground and sends you. Yeah. Man. One of the best scenes of the fight scene is when Kirk decides he's just going to scream and jump at the guy. He's like, ah! <laughs> it just like tackles him. It's it it works. It's 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 Shatner. It's Kirk, and I thought it worked. I thought it worked really well. How Kirk didn't wind up with a concussion from having his head slammed into a rock about twelve times? I don't know. Yep. Um, Absolutely. One thing you, about that before we go further is it's not of that fight scene, but it's right beforehand. The phaser stun effect on the Klingon on the planet cool. is awesome. I've always loved how they've done that. I thought it was pretty cool. So I have to say that. I think overall, my problem with this film is largely pacing. Okay. Um, you, you talked about the Vulcan scenes later. That is a, an entire segment of the film that where nothing happens. Yep. There's a lot of camera angles. There's a lot of music. It's I find that aspect to be more boring than some of the scenes in Star Trek The Motion Picture where the Enterprise is just doing flybys forever. Right. Yeah. Um, there's not a lot of... There's not a lot of dialogue. There's not a lot of action. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of hoping and worrying and waiting. Yep. And it just, it doesn't really work. And now I'm getting accosted by a loving pit car. Um, it, it's interesting you say that. I also feel that in addition to that, because you're 100% uh, on every aspect of what happens in Vulcan, I also have to say, I'm not a fan. And I think it's kind of a wasted time. It could have been much shorter. The whole Pon Far thing. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of that either. I don't, I don't. I don't care for it all that much. I don't think it's it's awesomely acted, even with Robin there. I'm, I just didn't, I didn't I didn't like it. I didn't like that part. It's a great nod to the fans. It is. Yeah. Um, it, it is a great <laughs> you know uh, um, callback to the original series. Right. But you're right. It, it doesn't need to be in there. Right. And as we um, all know now from watching Strange New World, they should have kissed anyway because that's what Vulcans do, apparently. Right. Oh, stop it. <laughs> We're gonna be positive. A kid, I kid. Oh, I'm, I'm. Believe me, I think it's fantastic. I'm not. Oh, I do too. Wise guy too. (laughs) Um, 
Yeah, so th- th- the pacing really is what affects me with this film. Okay. Um, because I-, I almost feel like it's it's three different movies. Um, there's the stealing the Enterprise part. Mm-hmm. There's the survival on the Genesis planet part for Savick and David and 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 the Spockling. Yep. Spockling. And then there's <laughs> and then there's the the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And the three have very different structure very different pacing you know I, I feel like the the stealing enterprise part goes very fast it's you know it, it yeah. pops it's bang bang yeah. bang which is great the the stuff on the genesis planet with savik and david and spock is a little more considered mm-hmm. um there's a lot of dialogue there's a lot of exposition there's a lot of explanation as to why things are the way they are and then after you get the big you know let's rescue everybody and get off the planet you know reading klingon's hard um you get to Vulcan and it's just like you said, so anticlimactic. So it, it starts off at a high peak and then just continually slides into slowness. Yes. And I I feel like it's the opposite of what the wrath of Khan did. Oh, started slow, ramped up. By the time you get to the end and the big boom, you're like, whoa. Right. True. Um, that being said, uh, I don't think you could have any of those, completely taken out of the movie for for the movie to to succeed you have to have those parts and they could have condensed some scenes um i'll tell you we talked about it um a little bit we talked about how how painful it is for the destruction of the enterprise but what four words do you think are probably the most powerful four words of this entire movie in terms of like gut-wrenching um well for me there's uh seven words it's you cling on bastards. You killed my son. That's that. That's a good one. But prior to that, Admiral David is dead. That oh. is just like an oh my god moment there. Yeah, I mean you. We saw it, but Kirk is just sitting there waiting. What's going on? What's going on? And then the Vulcan way, boom. Oh, Admiral David's dead. That's well, just like oh. And David jumps on the grenade. I mean, yeah, really, he does. Otherwise, it's probably going to be Savick. It was going to be Savick. He was going to he was going to take out the woman. That's mm-hmm. what you could see it. He was raising his knife up to kill her, stab mm-hmm. her in the back, and he he stepped in and and ended up dying for it. He sacrificed himself. He did. Yep. Yep. And there's no way he was going to beat that Klingon. Absolutely. He, he knew it. He knew it. Yep. And that's why he did it anyway. Absolutely. And um, how that levels Kirk levels me every single time oh yeah the, like i said the falling down and missing the chair very cool captain's chair by the way in star trek 3 i i kind of dig it i like how it's kind of like you know it's got kind of like a nice cloth on it's got those like little lines behind it going out like a sunburst as long as not the the version from the grissom which is pink Ooh, have you ever well, noticed that the upholstery well, on the grissom pink? likes his pink chairs i guess i don't know <laughs> i remember seeing that the first time like going, is that pink <laughs> I'm gonna have to go back and look at that. Actually, um, I, that's the way it always looked to me when I saw it in the theater and, and on home video. It didn't look much better. Kristen's kind of cool looking ship. Didn't last. I uh, see. See, no, I've never thought that about oh, the, the Oberth class. I think the I, captain was an idiot, but I thought I thought I thought that I, it was kind of neat looking. It was like a V, like yeah, a V ship. He seemed like he was uh, almost like uh, the commander of the Enterprise B. Well, John yeah, Harriman. like a cap, like a captain is around a planet. A Klingon ship decloaks and is coming fast at them, and all he says is, "Oh my god." Nice captaincy you got there, pal. <laughs> well, people can make the argument that Grissom is supposed to be a science vessel. He's um, still a captain. Aren't they all science vessels? That's Let's be true. honest. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know what we haven't talked about? No. Is the amazing performance by D. DeForest Kelly. Yeah. 
Yeah. He's so good in this. I, he is. It, I still maintain it's not the best work he does in the franchise. It's not, but it's just, he's, he's playing two characters for a while. Um, and you know, he's got some, he's got some very emotional scenes, but he's also got some humor scenes like at the bar. I just think it's, I, I thought he did a good job. Oh, he absolutely did. I mean, he gets, mo- he and Scott to get the light moments in this movie for sure. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, I still get into an elevator. I still go l- 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 level, please. <laughs> Transport room. Go ahead and say it. You want to say it. No, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going <laughs> to finish Scotty's line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, I still do that or I'll get into it, an elevator and go bridge. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's just because that's what I just do. the way you um, are. Yeah. So it's, it's like we said, I don't, I don't hate the movie. Mm-hmm. It's probably my least favorite of the, of the trilogy, but I think that's true for a lot of people. Oh, Cause you got two, you, know, you got four and then there's three in the middle. I don't know, man. It, uh, if I had to rate them, two obviously is the first one. I love them both. I love three and four. Oh, I don't know. I might put three above four, but I know that's blasphemy to some people because four is so good. It saved the whales and this, that, and the other thing. But I just love so many aspects of Star Trek three, where you know Star Trek four is another one. Oh my God! If we don't do this, all humanity is going to be destroyed. It's a discovery complex in Star Trek four when you think about it. Um, but I just, I just, I, oh, I love Star Trek Three. I really love it a lot. Really, that much? Yeah, uh, yeah, I really do. I mean, I love Star Trek Four. Don't get me wrong. It's, 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 it's some people's favorite Trek movie of all. It is. Um, but I just, there's so many things I love about Star Trek Three. I mean, we haven't even talked about, you know, some of the great scenes with Ahura and Sulu and 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 everybody else. Um, it's just, and of course, we get Spock back at the end, and we get the Vulcan eyebrow lift at the end, and all that good stuff. I just, I just, it's just, it's a comfort food movie for me. I can see where that that last scene is especially comfort food. I, I understand that. Um, <laughs> it, it, people can't see it, but Dan just pointed at his noggin like McCoy does, and unfortunately, in Dan's brain, there's really nothing there. Nothing. It was a big echo chamber that just was like gong gong. Oh, so, the yeah, two anyway. brain cells you have left are, are competing. <laughs> well, one now. Yeah, yeah. One of them's going to win out, <laughs> and I think it's the dumb one. <laughs> oh, well, you can't be talking like that. I had to get the eighth one in before we wrap it up. So there's eight. That's there's eight. Great job. Boom. Thank Great you. job. The Thank home office much. is going to be proud of you. Um, <laughs> Th- those scenes at the end, because it it's about closing the circle of that friendship. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they've got Spock back. Who knows what it's going to mean? Because, I mean, um, th- it's been a while since somebody's done this. Yeah. Um, but for now, I mean, they've, they've done what they set out to do. And I think that's really the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it leaves you with the question, well, what happens next? Yes. Um, and I kind of lo- like how they leave Star Trek Three at that point. Mm-hmm. You really don't know. Right. For all, you know, in all seriousness, for all intents and purposes, that could have been the last Star Trek movie. They yeah. they find him, they bring him back, he's alive. The end. <laughs> it seriously could have been the last one. I, you know, and then of course, then we have um, a continuation where they get, they go down to Home Depot and get a bucket of paint and paint HMS Bounty <laughs> on the side of the hull. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that brings up a great question for... For, for next time or some other time. Where do Vulcans get buckets of orange paint? 
Anybody? I, I just don't. I don't know. Or whatever color that was. Maybe the, it was the, leftover the Mount Soleil where they paint those statues that are like red. Oh, good, good. I don't know. Could be. Um, the squeaking you hear in the background is Isabella, by the way. Um, that's a good dog. That's all staying in. <laughs> Absolutely. Of course it's it all is. all staying in. Yeah. We're very dog friendly here on the Trek Geeks podcast. Mm, absolutely. Always um, will be. It, really, there, there's not, for as much as I criticize Christopher Lloyd's performance in this movie, there are no bad performances in this movie. Even Larroquette does a good job. Well, you don't even know he's John Larroquette. I, I didn't know it was him for a long time. <laughs> well, at that point, he, was, he wasn't even John Larroquette. I mean, people, exactly. didn't, people yep. didn't know who he was until Night Court. Right. Um, but there really are no bad performances in this movie. No, there really aren't. Um, everybody does a great job, uh, and and I I do I, I do have to disagree with you. Friendly in a friendly way, I love Christopher Lloyd's performance in this. I really do. I just think it's I think it's I think it's one of the things I admire most about this movie is we get somebody who you don't expect to play somebody like him, play him, and like I said, I think the whole Reverend Jim thing might have something to do with that because I did not, I probably never watched one full episode of Taxi in my life ever. Yeah. yeah. So oh, I, I freely concede that it's got everything to do with it Yeah. Um, because it just, it, it takes me right out of it. Could you imagine what would have happened if Star Trek three came out after back to the future? No. Yeah. That see now there, I would have had a problem with that. Well, no, see, I think it would have been easier to take because doc Brown is a little more, um, less Reverend Jim, honestly. Okay. That's um, a good point. Yep. You know, I, I think that, I think it would have made more sense because at that point we'd seen him do something else. Yeah. At that point, any, all anyone really knew him for was taxi. Was, exactly. That's um, true. Now in hindsight, that's not to say, like I said, it's not, it, it's not that he gives a, a bad performance because he doesn't, he owns the screen when he's on it. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest. Yeah. It's just that I get taken right out of it when I hear that voice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that that's really what does it for me. I, I have a hard time taking Krug seriously as a result. Yeah. Speaking of speaking of dog friendly here on Trekkie, see, I love his little dog. <laughs> Targ or whatever it was then. I don't know if it was a Targ. It looked like a lizard monster creature thingy. The look that that Klingon guy gives when he's told to feed him. Look, quick. Just the look on the guy's face like, you say what? You want me to do what now? Yep. Yes. And I got to be on the bridge of the Klingon Bird of Prey from Star Trek Three, kind of, when I went out to Universal Studios Hollywood years and years and years ago when they had the Star Trek experience uh, thing. That's I played the right. Klingon captain, and I got to sit on that bridge, which was based on the bridge from Star Trek Three. And you don't have the tape. And the tape is gone. Oh, yeah. that's so sad. Yep. But part of, you know, a lot of it was not me because part of this, a couple of the sets were broken. So they used old footage when they put it together. But I got to be in the bridge. I got to disintegrate the guy just like he did in Star Trek 3, just like Krug did. Yeah, it's pretty it's awesome. like what I dream of doing to you every day. I knew that was coming. I walked right into that one. It's, um, <laughs> you know, it, I, I'm a firm believer that, you know, Star Trek 3 is, is worth watching. I mean, if mm-hmm. it's on, I'm going to watch it. Yep. It's, it's not generations, for God's sake. Um, but, you know, if if you're going to watch, if you're going to have yourself a little movie marathon and you watch two, three, and four back to back to back, yeah. I think you're going to have a pretty good afternoon um, because I think it tells a, a really good story. I think it tells a complete story, like you said. Um, and I think that it's, it, it it is a great middle act as far as that trilogy goes. It really is. And, and, and when you look at it that way, I think, um, I think it adds more to it. Because it has to bridge one of the one of, if not the best Star Trek movie of all time, to what many consider to be their favorite uh, 
uh, Star Trek of the uh, original cast six films. Well, it, it has the unenviable task of being, you know, sort of the, the downshift between the two movies. Right. Um, and it's, it, it's not a good place to be in. I mean, mm. especially when you consider what people think of as the odd numbered curse of Star Trek films. True. You know, that's true. One people are generally soured on. Love it. Three or sorry, love two it. people love three yep. love. people are, a lot of people are met over mm-hmm. four universal, uh, you know, adoration for that movie. Five. Suck. Eh. <laughs> yes yes it does dan so concludes our discussion on star trek 3 the search for spock um it's a, it almost makes me want to watch it again again I, that's okay there's nothing wrong with that i'm i'm here for that you know what else i'm here for dan oh i think i know our friends the band mm-hmm. five-year mission Every last bit of music you hear on the Trek Geeks podcast, you know, they have a podcast on the Trek Geeks podcast network called, wait for it, Five-Year Mission. Wow. I know. It's pretty brilliant. The marketing department at Coconut Media Works spared no expense. Um, they they secured the name you know, in, in no time, and uh, and they are able to use it today. It's 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 really kind of a... A tear-jerking story. It's, it's, it's you're beautiful. an amazing human being. You know that? Uh, not me. It's the marketing department. Oh. Uh, we got to give them a raise. But, you know, for go get all their albums, fiveyearmission.net. Um, become a huge fan of this band and get that physical media in your hand because you're going to want it, honestly. Important. Don't rely on Spotify or Amazon Music. I mean, you can listen to them there, but you want the discs. You want to, you know, get the, the hard work that the artists put into it. Get that right in your hands and, and pop that into your CD player. So, fiveyearmission.net. Go get all their albums. And you could, if you, one of the old CD Walkmans that you used to have back in the day, you could clip it on your belt, put the CD in there and go walking down the street, listening to some five-year mission. I had one of those, literally. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised either. Anyway, I love five-year missions very much. And Isabella probably does as well. I know. I, 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 right? Um, you know, I, we, we talked about this a little bit. We've heard three amazing opening voiceovers in Star Trek, buddy. We've heard Shatner. We've heard Stuart, and I forgot, we actually have Nimoy, too, because he mm-hmm. does it in the movies. But now we have Anson Mount doing this amazing opening voiceover. The words are forever ingrained in our minds, my friend, and we can only hope that the next iteration of the famous words goes something like this. Space. The final Fark tier. Oh, God. These are the voyages of the Fark ship Enterprise. It's Farkier mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civifarxations, to boldly go where no Fark has gone before. That's all I got. But do you need anything else? I I need a drink after. <laughs> um, huh? That was that was horrific. Well, there was a lot of Farks in there. I understand that. That, I know somebody might be a little hard to take that many like you. That nauseated me <laughs> um, to the point where I think I need to use the facilities. Um, okay. Well, well the, the good thing is it's kind of like an earworm. So it's going to be in your head the rest of the day. I might even say it to you at the gym later. Just saying. It's not going to be in my ear at the gym. And I, you've co- you come anywhere near me. I'm going to smack <laughs> you with a kettlebell. <laughs> wow. Harsh. Probably only a 10, uh, because I'm still getting back into it, but, um, <laughs> don't okay. be surprised if the 16 comes flying by your Why? head. 
<laughs> Zoom. <laughs> yeah, that's kilograms, by the way. Yes, kilograms. exactly. Is yeah. Uh, FiveYearMission.net. Go get all their albums. Mm-hmm. Seriously, do it now. Get to the chopper. <laughs> what the heck was that? Get to the chopper, Marty. There you go. I was waiting um, for you to do one. <laughs> Don't forget, you too can support the Truck Geeks Podcast Network by subscribing to us on Patreon, where, uh, Dan, you can get, like, raw audio. You raw. can- um, you Raw. Can, I know, right? I know. You can talk with other patrons on our Discord server. Mm-hmm. Um, you can uh, do a whole bunch of other things. Perks are coming. But, Dan, there's a whole bunch of people we want to thank. Oh, my God. There's so many people. P- Discord. I should probably get on Discord every once in a while, too. Yeah, you really should. Think of it. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hit or miss on that one. I know I got a lot of work to do. We have tons of people. We have to, we have so many people that we want to thank. Right now, I'm going to thank uh, our associate producers for Trek Geeks because, as usual, we are always so grateful for their support. So thank you very much, Vikram Bot, Brad Demag, William Edward M Jr., Patrick Escudero, Andy Fark, Kimberly Francis, Jonathan Hamilton, Peter Hong, William Jackson, Ryan Jeffs, John Krikorian, Sean Lynn, Rick Mason, Jamie McGregor, Ross McKinney, Aaron Molenkoff, Casey Pettit, Helen Reed. Sarah Rutlinger, Tim Robertson, Desi Rogers, Greg Rozier, Eric Sakian, Adam Sanders, Tim Serdar, Heather Sohn, Blake Strike, Rick Tatro, Lisa Tomlinson, Ron Robel, and the gracious and wonderful Connie Hutchins. That's that was pretty good. That's, that's nine so ten actually because you that's did ten. One. It, well, yeah, ten of nine if we count yours. Ten of mine. Um, yours, yours were good. Uh, mine was mine barely passed. Really, we also want to thank our Trek Geeks producers for their support. They are. Mike Bovia, Steve Bovia, Chaz Bradshaw, Kyle Castillo, Peter Craig, Andy Davenport, Craig Ewing, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Kimberly Hartman, David Hood, Lionel Marchand, Matt McGonigal, Jim McMahon, Darren Metcalf, Charlie Mulvey, Sean O'Halloran, Jamie Rogers, Major Self, Casey Shafsky, Terry Shaw, Jim Stoffel, Chris Trebuzio, Ken Tripp, Christina Werther, who is on time, actually. It's yeah, happened. Right. It's, no, it's okay. finally happened. She's been on time. Where? Uh, at the thing and the lovely and talented Jess Vashon, Dan, the senior producer of Trek Geeks is the constantly comical Jude Tatman. He's a funny dude. Yeah. You too can become a producer on the Trek Geeks podcast network and it is so easy to do. Head on over to patreon.com slash Trek Geeks for all the details. Dan, the next time we gather here on Yield Flagship, we're going to have a somewhat serious conversation about a topic I wrote about recently on treknews.net. Yeah, absolutely. We are, my friend. An excellent article, by the way. Very, very well written. Uh, We both love Discovery. And as season four is all wrapped up and we look forward to season five, uh, we're going to sit down and take a look at some of the things that we feel may be hindering Discovery as it gets into its later seasons and our or Bill's thoughts and recommendations on, on how to fix it. It's the problem with Discovery. And it's next time on Trek Geeks the flagship of the Trek Geeks podcast network. Now, before people react to the title, mm-hmm. um, let's let's just unpack this just a tiny bit. Absolutely. This is not about hatred of discovery. Nope. Um, as I, I found online, people saw the headline and assumed that I was just going to hate on the show. I'm not, we're not going to hate on the show. We love discovery, you and I. We are big fans. We have watched every season. We have rewatched every season. Uh, we'll continue to be champions of the show especially on discovering Trek, the Star Trek discovery companion, but um, crisis fatigue is a real thing. And I think that there are some, it's something that needs to be talked about. And that's kind of what drove the article. And here's the difference. We're going to talk about it in a logical, respectful way. 
instead of just bashing it and saying it's not real Trek or it's Kurtzman Trek or any of the other crap that we hear on social media, which is toxic. It is going to be a conversation that we are going to enjoy. It's going to be a conversation that will have thoughtful discussion. And like you said, we love Discovery. We will always love Discovery. And I'm looking forward to the chat. Constructive is, yes. is really the, the, the goal I set for that particular article. And that's yeah. what our discussion will be in a couple of weeks on the flagship. Dan, of course, for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to check out the other member podcasts here on the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. So many fantastic and wonderful shows by people we adore that all just want to celebrate Star Trek and Gene's vision. You can find all our podcasts on the free Trek Geeks mobile app. That's free, F-R-E-E, no spaces. And, or you can get a link to your favorite podcast player by visiting trekgeeks.com slash listen. The Trek Geeks Podcast Network. No one talks Trek like we do. Not a one of them. And of course, for all the news on all the Star Trek CEO, please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode number 283 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Ah, I've come a long way for the power of coconut. And what do I find? A wonderful bride, a lovely dog, and Bill. <laughs> That's the best one you've ever done. <laughs> You son of a... <laughs> Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing an original song for each episode of Star Trek. Hear more of their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks is a production of Coconut Media Works. Executive producers Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. For more great Star Trek discussion, discover the other shows of the Trek Geeks podcast network at trekgeeks.com or find us in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Bing bong. I put my pants on. Excuse me? <laughs> Sorry, Men in Black 3 line. Hi, bing bong. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I'm never going to watch that movie. It's so good. It's the best of the three, dude. Dude, no, it's, it, it, it is. Be. It, well, two is horrible. So you got a 50-50 chance. And I think it's better than the first one. I, uh, of course, the fourth one's not too good either, but I haven't seen all of that. Wait, wait, wait. There's a four? Yeah, it was Men in Black International with Hemsworth and um, the girl who plays Valkyrie in the Avengers movies. They team up as men and black people over in London or somewhere. Oh, Tessa Thompson? Yeah. And what I've seen, and uh, um, what's his name? Uh, I will find you and I will kill you. He's in it too, but I can't think of his name off the top of my head. I, From the Taken movies. Mean, oh, Liam Neeson. <laughs> Thank you. you. Qui-Gon Jinn from yes. Star Wars? Yes, exactly. Yeah, I think he's the bad guy. Yeah, Slow Jin Fizz. Yeah. yeah slow- <laughs> so uh, so yeah, that one's not great, but three is Three is absolutely phenomenal. I I I love that one. Um, is is that the one with um with Josh Brolin? Yeah, Thanos is in it. Oh, he's dude. He is so good because it's a time travel movie, and he plays young Tommy Lee Jones, and he is perfect as him. He is so good. I got. I'm telling you right now.
You got to watch Men in Black. Uh, ladies and gentlemen listening, please let Bill know that you should that he should watch Men in Black 3 starring uh, uh, Will Smith. <laughs> and uh, Will Smith, not this Will Smith. I can assure you that's not happening. And uh, and Tommy Lee Jones and Josh Brolin. No. <laughs> and the guy who plays the villain kind of reminds me of, um, um, uh, what's the guy, uh, the, the wrestler, the, ooh, yeah, that guy, who's that? Macho uh, Man, Randy Macho yeah, Man Zach. He reminds me of him a lot. <laughs> or Macho Man Randy Zach. Macho Man, yep. Yeah. Uh, rest in peace. Bone saw. Yes. Snap it to a Slim Jim. <laughs> Although, unfortunately, he's since passed away. Yes, uh, he has. Yep. Um, I, now we have to look up who the villain is. Uh, I can't remember. Uh, but uh, Nikki, uh, Nicole Scherzinger has a cameo at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, uh, don't From, from uh, Mass Singer. <laughs> and the Pussycat Dolls. And I mean, the Pussycat Dolls, of course. Know. Yep, absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Who, it's very who good. Is... It's a good film. I like it. He's checking right now. He's 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 doing his IMDb, I think probably IMDb. Do you mean Jermaine Clement from Flight of the Concords? I I don't know. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen him in anything that I recall. Of course, he looks really strange in this because he's an alien. He's a boglodite. That's what I said. I don't see that in Star Trek. <laughs> no, he's just troglodyte. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're a troglodyte. Wow. Idiot. Uh, wow, my goodness. Well, maybe I'll just jump out of the castle on the clouds, and then you'll be sad. Oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I said dick. Um, although, castle on the clouds around here has a much different connotation. It does. In New in Hampshire. Hampshire. But, yep. um, <laughs> yeah, if you were to jump from Stratos, I think I would be oh, so excited. Wow, that's kind of, that's harsh. Is it? Uh, uh, yeah, a Is little it? bit. A little bit. No. Okay. All right. Well, I guess we'll have to just wait and see. Next time I get to Stratos, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know. Yeah, I want you to do that. Please. <sighs> wow. Anyway. Please. So how, did, you have a, did you have a good weekend? So I was off for, uh, for six days. Yeah, Counting the were. weekend and the holiday. Yeah. Um, I wish I could still be off. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's true. Uh, I, I wish um, the same. It, you know, it's it, Isabella has spent. Uh, well, they've been digging up our neighborhood, laying fiber for for fiber internet. Ah, uh, okay. And uh, all the power lines in my neighborhood are underground, so you know everything has to be underground. Yeah. And of course, it's been noisy as all get out. So Isabella has not liked it at mm-hmm. all. She's been very fearful of it and shaking. So we've spent a lot of time in those days, just sort of you know trying to uh, trying to make her feel better and, and just you know. To puppy care, as I like to call it, but uh, it's it's been it was a rough weekend. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. And then thunderstorms we've discovered she doesn't really like. That um, does not surprise me at all. No, yeah, uh, she's seven, so I mean, yeah. you know, it's it's entirely possible that she's had some kind of noise reactivity for a while. Uh, she also doesn't like uh, car doors, okay, horns, or um, people uh, named or, Bill. No, oh, she sorry. loves me. Um, <laughs> or uh, or or big trucks. School buses. Uh, yes. It could be also be the vibrations associated with it, too, maybe. Also, motorcycles. Those things are evil in her, her yes. world. There's a guy on our street who, I, I get it, all right, loud pipes save lives, blah, blah, blah. Oh. But his pipes are, are, I don't know how the guy isn't deaf, because that's how loud, loud the pipes are. They shake the house. There's no reason to have them. It do, the whole save lives thing is bogus in my mind. You don't need them that loud. I, I can appreciate that on some level, it does help other motorists hear you if they can't see you. Understand. However, um, when they're that loud, mm. that they shake my home, mm-hmm. that, that's dumb. That, that, that's egregious. 
Now, egregious is a word that means just way too much, Dan. Thank you. I was about to ask you the what? Egregious? What? Egregious. Egregious. Isn't that a bird? Oh, no, that's a egret. Sorry. You were so... (laughs) Oh, (laughs) jeez. I've missed you, man. (laughs) I just don't know how I can come up with this stuff that fast. Have you? Have you missed me? I have. It's been... It's been a long road. (laughs) You're you're forbidden. If you could see his face every time I do that, it's I remind you that you're forbidden from saying that on the show. I didn't didn't finish it. Doesn't matter. (laughs) You were forbidden from quoting any of the lyrics on the show. (laughs) Coconut is your thing. Not not, not The Voice. The Voice? I've never watched that. that. No, that was the nickname of the guy who sang the song for the show. Was it? Yeah, Russell Watson. He was known as The Voice. Okay, that's crazy. Yeah. I don't appreciate that. Appreciate what? I appreciate the the line, which is why I use it all the time, just because to get that look. You've never seen anybody's face go from smiling and happy to completely just like, he's like an elevator and his head just went down and just, it's just crazy. I get that there are people who love the song. I understand. You like it. That's great, but it, it's not. E- it wasn't even written for Star Trek. I'll tell you what, Archer's theme should have one hundred percent been the theme for Enterprise. I agree, 100%. absolutely. That is a beautiful, beautiful theme. And when they did it on Discovery, uh, it was phenomenal. I, I I could not agree with that statement more. Yeah, I, I think that it would have been an amazing series theme. Of course, now uh, the people are going to be why? Do, why do you hate this? It's a, it's Don't. not a great song. Diane Warren, who has written that song as, as well as many other number one songs. Um, I don't want to say she mailed it in on that one, but it's just, it's not great. It's not a good song. <laughs> it doesn't really fit with Star Trek itself. I mean, I don't hate the song either. And it is the theme for Enterprise. So it's something I'll always appreciate. But yeah. I guarantee you, I will always skip the opening credits of Enterprise. <laughs> or I'll mute one of the two. It's funny that we're on that subject, even though we're still in the outtake. Um, every time, for years, whenever we see the opening of enterprise there's this one ship that they would always show and i'm like i've never seen and it's the back of the ship and you can see like the engines and i'm like what the heck what is that we've never seen that anywhere and they finally showed it in picard season two it was the one that was hanging up in the rafters when picard was talking to the girl i don't want to give spoilers away so i'm not saying anything else but but they finally showed it and then they ref and then all the articles referenced that it was finally seen for the first time the girl. I don't want. Hey, people might not have seen it. Hold I don't on, hold on, nothing. hold on, hold on. The woman. Oh yes, I apologize. The woman. Yes, the woman. Yeah. <laughs> the the astronaut type woman. The astronaut type woman. Don't say yeah. anything else, Bill. I. This doesn't give anything away. I, you just gave away that she's an astronaut. Yeah, but you don't know how she relates to the plot. That's there's nothing to give away there. But but she's an astronaut. Face is an astronaut. <laughs> <laughs> so yes anyway actually i could leave off the tronaut and your face would be that wow it took yeah. me a second it did take me i'm a, an astro oh then oh yeah a- no uh, yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay then thank you thank you so much so we're uh we're prepping for vegas buddy we are i, I placed an order today you placed an order today it's happening it's happening yo I, I just I I'm I I'm so giddy. We let me look at my official countdown. Um, we have 83 days till we land on site. Yep, 83 days. Yeah, we we ordered some some swag to give away at our table in the vendors room, and 
It's going to be pretty nice. Not going to lie. The party's all set up. So party is set. I got to say, I, I, I love the Star Trek fans who go to Vegas. Mm-hmm. I really re- genuinely do. And this is, I'm not, this is not hyperbole, hyperbole. I'm not being sarcastic. Um, I love the people who go to the fan geeks party. So we put 200 tickets available online. Uh, as we've said before, we do this to help comply with fire code. We can yes. only have so many bodies in the room yep. and this helps us control the number of bodies. The tickets are always free. We never charge for them. 200 of them went up unavailable on Eventbrite a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. They were all gone. Gone. In six hours. Gone. Gone. 200 tickets spoken for. We asked Trekkies to to show up and to get their tickets. And you know what they did? They didn't let us down. They're showing up and they're getting the tickets. So there will be a smaller ticket availability mm-hmm. in Vegas. Details on that yet to be announced. But um, dude, this party is going to be insane. More people than we've ever had before. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. And and I think one of the rules, if we do have this, we will have the small amount of tickets in Vegas. One of the rules is you have to come up and say, Dan is the better of the Trek geeks. And then you'll probably get a ticket. We haven't decided if that's going to be, you know, final or not, but I'm just, you look surprised. I'm a little concerned. If they come up and say, Dan is a friggin' jerk, I'll give you two tickets. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. And maybe a, maybe a hug. <laughs> <laughs> and punch you right in your suck hole. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> like like Kobayashi. <laughs> I've seen him do it. Sorry, now I'm quoting stepbrothers. Yes, those stepbrothers. Now I'm quoting stepbrothers. It's going to be fantastic. Every, the way everybody has stood up and, and just supported the return of this party after three years. And hey, by the way, hmm. I, I can't get out of this outtake. This doesn't really fit in the body of the show, but let's do this here. Uh, one of the people attending... Vegas for the very first time at our party for the first time is our friend Debbie Moltisanti, who just retired. Happy, happy retirement, Debbie. We yep. can't wait to see you. It is awesome. At, in Vegas at the Fan Geeks party, just in general. Um, thank you for all your years working in schools. Yes. Um, thank you for all the the young minds that that you've you've guided along the way. We can't wait to to party with you in Vegas. And unfortunately, in today's world, one of the other things is thank you for keeping the kids safe. Yeah. Um, that's also very important. Yes. Enjoy the retirement. It is well-deserved. And like Bill said, we can't wait to see, we can't wait to see everybody in Vegas. Like, like Bill said, it's such a reunion. It's right around the corner. When you think of it, uh, 83 days away, it's going to be phenomenal. I can't wait. Ah, Vegas, <sighs> Vegas, baby. Vegas. Uh, yeah. All right, so that's, that, I got one more thing. Cause, well, cause you know, things just pop into my head and I need, boom, I gotta say it. Yeah, so, I you know, you know, I'm going to do the Thanos, Admiral Thanos. Is, is my plan for cosplay in Vegas. I do know this. You know I love Thanos. You know I love the Infinity Gauntlet. I got the Infinity Gauntlet Lego right there, right there behind me. Today, available for pre-order, is the Iron Man Nano Gauntlet. Guess who pre-ordered it today? Yeah, that's right. I did. <laughs> Oprah? Very excited. Going to have both gauntlets, so I can like snap and make you disappear, and then snap again and make sure you never come back. There will be no blink. I'm so confused. <laughs> so confused. Sorry. That's all I have. Um, yeah. So glad you decided to share that. Are you ready? <laughs> I am ready. Let's do it. All right. Then let's do this. 13 <laughs> minutes in. You got to talk about Lego gauntlets, you idiot. I have Lego gauntlets. And now he's on mute and dying. That's the best part. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs>
coconut.